It is really good to be back uh, with you again. Uh, thank you for your prayers for us over many years now. Thank you for your support for us as a family and as a college. We really appreciate it. Um, sadly, Helen is not uh, with me. Um, we're hoping to be over uh, possibly in, uh, in July. My two daughters have moved to the UK uh, to study now, Miriam and Bethany. Uh, and three sons are still back in, are back in South Africa. But thank you so much for your care and your support. And as I said, it's, it's lovely to be with you again today. If you want to know more about college, there's a, um, a, a small magazine you can grab. I'll, I'll put it at the back on the way out, which tells you where we've got to. Um, you would have heard, I'm sure, in previous visits of, of our Soweto campus, and now met uh, part of the faculty there with, with Pastor Ntlantlazwani. Uh, we, we've recently launched this year the campus in Alex, which is um, called the Township of Townships. Uh, a slightly even a rougher space. Um, Helen is absolutely loving doing the admin there Monday to Wednesday and then teaching on the women's course uh, on Thursday in Soweto. Um, so please do continue to pray for her uh, in that. Um, today, uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of work and rather than focusing on one passage which we'd normally do, we're going to look at a, a kind of a, a Christian overview, a Bible overview of the Christian understanding of work. What does the Bible say about our work? And as it uh, engages all of us, even if we're uh, just starting out, even if we're retired, work is still a part of our life. Let me pray the Lord might strengthen us today uh, in his service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you've drawn us together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the praise we've already been able to give to you. Thank you, Lord, for our prayers, our confession, for hearing your word read. Thank you, Lord, for the, exciting, the many exciting things we've heard about that's going on around this area. And thank you, Father, again, for your word and the gift of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your commitment to us to make us into the likeness of Christ. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you might open our eyes to see wonderful things, that we might understand more of your ways, understand more of your character, and so our lives might be lived by your Spirit in his strength to your delight and glory. And Father, we're conscious always on a, on a day like this that there will be some who are loving their work, and we praise you for that, some for whom work is really tough, and we pray, Lord, there'd be strength in this morning, some for whom long for work. And again, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts from your word this morning that we might leave here strengthened to bring glory to our Lord Jesus in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Um, work takes up a huge proportion of our lives. Whether you're working at home uh, and with your kids, or whether you're working from home uh, on the, for some people, a dreaded Zoom, or whether you're working away from home, maybe even traveling abroad, uh, whether we work with our families, whether we're indoors, outdoors, whether you're in an office with a computer, whether you're working with people or with widgets or with, with data, um, work takes up a huge proportion of our lives, and it shapes who we are. Aristotle, I think, said, made the comment, you are what you repeatedly do. And so having a Christian understanding is a game changer for life. I guess it's true to say as well for probably all of us in our lives, we have a love-hate relationship with work. Whether it is homework or housework or your job work, for some, work simply is an 
evil necessity. I think all the way from hunter-gatherers to pen-pushers today, um, it's an evil necessity. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't have shelter. And for some, work just feels mind-numbingly boring. It feels quite meaningless, but hey, it's a job. For others, at the other end, work is an absolute joy. Yes, there are bad days in the office, but we love our work. It, we get to use the gifts God has given us, our personality, our training. We make progress. We rejoice at the work of our hands. We're appreciated for what we do. We even get paid, and we even get to go on some great holidays. What could be better? So there's a, there's a huge ambiguity to the human experience of work. On the one hand, there is something that is incredibly satisfying about it, and on the other hand, there is something quite soul-destroying about it. On the one hand, some people would love just to have a job, to be able to do things. And for others, if they could give up their job tomorrow, they would. Work is the way we often have, it's our major way that we engage with life. That great philosopher Homer Simpson said, son, if you really want something in this life, you have to work for it. Now quiet, they're about to announce the lottery numbers. <laughs> and today, today is part of a series that you, you're working through on a life worth living. And this morning we're looking at work and a Christian understanding of work. And we're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at the reason for work. Someone today had three R's to me. They said, I'm retired, I'm redundant, and I'm rejoicing is great. <laughs> We've got three R's from God's word this morning. The reason for work, the restlessness of work, and the restoration of work. So first is the reason for work. And part of work is simply to eat. We partake in human society through work. We bless others through our work. No human is an island, and part of being part of the collective human enterprise is the work and the contribution we make. In that sense, we're not that dissimilar to the honeybee or the ant. Biological organism, organisms require an expenditure of energy in order to get the resources they need to eat, to work, and survive. But human society, like human language, goes well beyond anything we see in the animal kingdom. And the Bible would affirm there's a much deeper reason for why we work. And I think it comes in two parts. Some people put it together as one part. I think there's two parts. Firstly, the first reason is we are made in the image of a God who works. You remember Genesis chapter 1. There are six days of creation of God working. And so on the seventh day, we're told he rested there's six days of bringing creative order and beauty and abundance out of chaos as God creates the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, the waters above, the waters below, as everything in that dry land and in the seas teems with life. But then remember when it comes to creating humanity, it's not simply, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. There's a conversation that happens within the Godhead then God said, let us make man in our image, Genesis 1, 26. 
And you can see there's a significant gear change, and there's something very special about the creation of humanity that is not true of anything else in all of creation. We're made in his image, we're made in his likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We're made for steward, we're made for rulership, we're made for work, we're made in the image of a God who works, and so it's not surprising as humans, we are made for work. So the first reason for work is we're made in the image of a God who works, and the second related reason is God gives humanity the gift of work. God provides work for humanity to do. That reading we had from Genesis chapter 2 describes God's incredible provision in the Garden of Eden. There is beauty in the trees. There's an abundance of food. There's beautiful smells. There's incredibly precious metals. And God takes Adam and places him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then we read a few verses later. Uh, Verse 19, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The first work that's described alongside God is naming the animals as he takes care of creation. So we work because we're made in the image of a God who works. Work has dignity It's part, and we work secondly because it's part of his provision. Along with beauty, along with food, God gifts us work. So work is a good thing in the Bible. It's not a curse. It's meant to be a good and creative expression of who we are in the image of God and who we are uniquely with the giftings and the character and the personality that he's made us. So it's no wonder that there are times at which we can derive huge satisfaction from our work. No wonder at times our work can be full of great joy. The Bible says work has that kind of dignity, a dignity that's worthy of God. And remember, this is completely at odds with the cultures of the Bible whether it be Babylonian, or then Greek, or then Roman. In Babylonian culture, the big god, chief god Marduk, who creates creation out of of a carcass of a dead god, says this, decides, I will bring into being a lowly, primitive being called man, and to man will be charged the labor so that the gods may have rest. Work is seen as a bad thing. Gods don't rest. Gods rest. Gods don't work, they rest. Humans do the lowly job of work. Greek mythology, Pandora's box, I think it was a jar. Zeus gives Pandora a box and says, don't open it. And as we know, Pandora opens the box. And what comes out of this box? Death, disease, decay, and work. All bad things. In a Greek mindset, again, work is the result of someone not being able to keep a lid on a box. And it's a bad thing. Aristotle said, 
apologies to traders and craftsmen. To be a trader or craftsman was to lead a life devoid of nobility and hostile to perfection of character. The Roman Cicero described retail work as sordid. The Bible says work has dignity. Whether it's work in the dust with your hands or the cerebral work or of a teacher or philosopher, work has dignity because we're made in the image of a God who works. And God has given us, through us being made in his image and also as a gift in creation, work. It's part of his good provision for us as humans. It's why being without work or working in something that is simply mindless and could be done by a robot or a machine, uncreative work can be, or being without work, can be so soul-destroying. It's why unemployment is a measure of injustice. Our very being is created to work, to be productive like God and for God. So if the reason for work seems to be such a good thing, made in the image of God and a gift from God, why is work so painful? Why is it that sometimes we watch the clock? We yearn for it to end. We feel destroyed at the end of the day. We come home exhausted and our, our families or those we live with have to, have to put up with, with this kind of shadow ourselves or a frustrated person who returns. Why is there this restlessness of work? And again, I think there are two points that the Bible articulates in terms of this restlessness and why this incredible gift, this being made in the image of God, has become so restless for us as humans so often. And the two reasons are one, rebellion, and two, judgment. And again, often people put those two, put those two together. See, from the Bible's perspective, work is not what it was or what it should be. And this is true, I think, as much of work as it is of the rest of our human experience. And the reason comes down to humanity's response to God and God's consequent response to humanity. See, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve stop trusting God with their life, stop following the way that he's ordered his creation, when they decide to go against him and go it alone and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only is an expression, not only is that as an, ex, as an expression of a hostile relationship to God, but even, as you see so quickly, what comes of it is a hostile relationship with one another. Blame and shame become part of human experience in a way that it was never intended to be. How can they now together face the world together when they're at each other's throats? Humanity ends up turned in on itself. It's often called the fall, as in the fall from God's good grace. Jacques Ellul, the French politician, theologian, philosopher, called it le rupture. I think it is characterized as rebellion and a complete meltdown in relationships. To use a different way, it is as though a catastrophic malware has been invited into the perfect creation and it sets about corrupting everything. And not only, therefore, is that good creation corrupted because of our hostility to God, 
But God comes in judgment upon that hostility, and the result is work is now a burden. It's not what it could be or what it should be, or indeed, as we'll see, what it will be. So in Genesis chapter 3, when God comes to Adam after Adam and Eve have rebelled against him, he says this, verse 17, Genesis 3, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you will return. Humanity's paradise is no longer. Humanity now lives under the judgment of God. No, no longer will work be a wonderful thing. No, wonder will, no longer will the planet always respond in abundance to the work that we put in. No longer are we at peace with one another in our endeavours. No longer are we at peace with God. No longer will life be an endless adventure of creative, fruitful endeavour expressing the image of God in us. No, from this time, there is now a restlessness to work. And it is a painful restlessness to work. It is a tragic restlessness to work but it explains so much of our experience. It explains how, life, how work, although it can be, still can be, with a broken image so fulfilling, it can also be so, so soul-destroying. It explains how work can bring such a sense of purpose and meaning as we exercise our God-given gifts, and yet at the same time, work can be for some so demeaning And the sense of loss of our soul comes not only, I think, from the judgment of God on the fertility and the productivity of our world endeavours, but also, as humans, we then seek to replace God with our work. And relationally, my work becomes the thing that defines me more than anything else. It's more important to me than God. It's interesting, living in South Africa, Culturally, when you talk to someone, if you want to know who they are, you ask them what their name is, and they ask you, you ask them who their family is, and you ask them where they're from, and that becomes the real defining of who someone is. In English culture, unless it's shifted significantly, hi, my, my name's Nat, what line of work are you in? And work is so much caught up with our identity. I think that is true of British culture very often. I'm proud of the work that I, I do. It defines so much of who I am. And sometimes that can be a reflection of the fall because I'm no longer primarily defined as I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in the image of God and my life is lived for him. Actually, I'm a bursar, I'm an accountant, I work in finance, I work in the city. And that becomes my primary identity, certainly the, the, the primary identity that I'm pleased for others to know about. So the reason for work, the restlessness of work due to our, our, our rebellion, our hostility to God and God's judgment on us. So finally, what about the restoration of work? Well, in the Bible, the restoration of our work is not primarily about work. It's about setting 
that relationship with God back on the right footing, setting it back as our primary relationship, being restored and reconciled to him. And the Bible's clear, it's not something that we can initiate or achieve ourselves unaided. Essentially, the restoration of work comes as a gift. And that gift is not abstract, it's not a heavenly post or a tweet or a how-to, The gift comes very personally. In fact, the gift comes as God becomes human in Christ Jesus and enters the world of human work, of all human experience. Jesus, before he began his public teaching ministry, was in all likelihood a carpenter. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter by trade. So he was likely a carpenter before he began his public preaching of the kingdom of God, his public ministry then of reconciling humanity to God and dealing with the judgment of God. And in Jesus' ministry, as you read through the Gospels, I think Jesus is incredibly positive about work and the role it can play in honouring God or displaying the character of God. A lot of his, the characters in his parables include hard-working farmers, shepherds, household stewards, and the like. Think of the parable of the talents, where the stewards honor the master who's given them those things and the way that they use them and give him back the, the glory. But he was also acutely aware of how work can be such a burden and human experience can be such a burden in life. And so one of his most cherished sayings we heard from Matthew 11 earlier was, come to me all you who are heavy laden or weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. There is a promise through Jesus' teachings of rest from the restlessness of life and work. Both in terms of finding our identity again primarily reconciled to the God we've been hostile to, but also in dealing with that judgment of God on humanity. I reflected a little bit this last week that Jesus' work himself his, his work that he was given to do by God was not a bed of roses. In his public ministry, he was often tired, exhausted, often hungry. He walked the dusty roads. And his work colleagues, my kids would describe, were considerably flaky. Think of them wanting to, to grasp positions of greatness when he's come to serve, doubting his leadership, when he tells Peter, or he tells the disciples his mission has come to, to come and die, be handed over to the Gentiles, be crucified, on the third day rise again, do you remember what Peter says to him? He says, Jesus, no. No, 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 not you. And Jesus is very strong with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. His, his disciples, his work colleagues deny him. One of them betrays him. They all run away in his time of need. And Jesus' work involved being handed over to be crucified. And worse even than that, public shame and humiliation and the pain of having nails driven through you and a crown of thorns forced on your head is that on that cross, his work was to receive the judgment of God in your place and mine 
so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God and put back into right relationship with God and our lives and our work restored. So on the cross, our work is redeemed as we are redeemed. Our relationship with God can be restored as we come to him. And our work can then be restored into its right place, motivated by living again for God in obedience to him, loving him, serving him, looking to see him glorified in his creation as we steward it. Rather than being futile, it has meaning. And it has meaning, I think, that has eternal significance. So Paul can write to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, for those who come to faith and follow Christ receive his forgiveness and new life. For we are, he'll say, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Can you see there's a new creation? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or in Colossians 3, when he's writing to churches, and he's writing here, addressing people whose work was rough, they were slaves, he says in verse 23, as he addresses them, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. In other words, when you come to faith, It changes everything. And although work can still be tough and backbreaking and disappointing and frustrating, it's no longer my justification for living. It's no longer my identity, and it's no longer ultimately futile, because I'm now working my work, whatever it is, for my king. God is my foreman, if you like, and he has everything sorted. And at the end of this project that I'm on, something phenomenal will emerge, and I am part of it. My work is part of it because I'm doing it for him. Jesus' work is taken into eternity. So when you and I stand before the throne of God of the Christians at the end of time, we will worship a lamb, as John describes him, looking as though he has been slain. Jesus' work that leaves scars on his body, those scars are taken into eternity in a way that we will rejoice and glorify God in. And the Bible's description of all eternity is not simply on choirs in clouds, it's not even a return to the garden, but it's described in the language of a city coming down from God. So human history, far from being absent from eternity is the very raw material from which God brings and creates the glorious new heavens and earth. The tree of life, we're told in in Revelation, the, the leaves of that tree will be for the healing of the nations. His servants will serve him, people from every language, tribe, and nation, as reminded earlier. And those who've been faithful in what they've done will be, according to Jesus' parables, will be given even more to be faithful with in eternity. So perhaps as I end, let me end with this illustration as we think about our work. Uh, There's an artist, a Japanese artist in New York called Makoto Fujimura. And he engages, and I may not pronounce this right, in kintsugi. 
and kintsugi is the art of mending broken ceramics. It dates all the way back to the 16th century, uh, China, Korea, and, and Japan, and it involves taking a broken teacup, ceramic a vessel, and slowly, in fact, they do this actual, actual process over generations, slowly putting the pieces back together, gluing them together with gold over time. And down the generations, the cup is restored, and the emerging cup is beautiful. It has, through the cracked ceramics, it has trees or what looks like uh, rivers of gold spreading through it. And the gold, at times, intentionally accentuating the, the fractures and the fissures to make it look like rivers. And the resulting piece from the broken pieces put together with gold is far more beautiful and far more valuable than the original. Far from simply patching something together, it's been fixed into its perfected form. It's not simply been restored, it's been glorified. Not back to where it was, but a whole new creation. It is the work, if you like, of an artist rather than a repairman. And that, I think, is what God does with our work when it's done for him. Work that has been broken, that is restless, is being restored with a value and a beauty that is far beyond our expectations. And that happens as we come to Christ, as we become a new creation, not made with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so the encouragement to us as followers of Jesus is whatever we do, with a sense of reality about the world we live in, we do it for him. And may you this week, no matter what you're engaged in, whether it's typing away on a computer, on Zoom calls, whether it's dealing with children at home, whether it's in uh, domestic work, or whether it's uh, in banking or in teaching uh, or in engineering, uh, whatever you're working at, let's work at it as though to the Lord. And may we long and pray that he might use our work then in whatever way for his great delight and glory, that it might be brought into eternity in a way that honors and glorifies him because it's done for and in the name of our Lord Jesus. So the reason, the restlessness, and the restoration of our work. Let's have a moment of just a quiet uh, to pray, uh, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your sovereign will, you've made us in your image, and you've given us the gift of work. And thank you that in our sinful rebellion, in our hostility, you haven't left us like this, with the simple futility and pain and death and frustration. But Lord, you became one of us. Lord Jesus, you, you walked among us, you worked, you, you experienced the tiredness and the frustration and more than that, you took in our place the judgment of God we deserve to restore us to the Lord, to restore us even to one another, to restore our work, that it might again bring glory to you, it might again have eternal significance. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you might enable us, whatever we do, to do it for you. To realize, Lord, that if we're working for you, whether it's justice we're bringing about, or fairness, or provision, that our work matters to you, and that our work can bring you great delight and glory. And you are out of this broken world, creating a new creation, which we will rejoice in. And Lord, we look forward to once again having that abundant, eternal, creative, fulfilling work as we do it for you in a new creation. In the meanwhile, Lord, enable us to serve you faithfully with all the work that you set before us. And Lord, may our identity be found in Jesus. And so may our work be done to his glory. Amen.